Today's sermon uh, is called uh, Persecution and the Church. You know, I was reading an article and uh, it was talking about uh, this president of, the, of a nonprofit Christian organization in Washington, D.C. And he was talking about a time he was able to go to China. And in China, he had an opportunity to interview uh, a pastor there. Now, this pastor had been in prison for over 10 years. And so he was asking him all of these questions. And uh, what he knew and what we know also is that China is one of the most persecuted nations uh, in the world. But we also know that China is one of the fastest growing Christian populations in all of the world. We know that Many scholars today actually consider that the center of Christianity has moved from North, Korea, North America to China. And so knowing all of this, this uh, president of this nonprofit goes to this pastor and begins to speak with him. And the last question he asked was this. Pastor, what is your greatest worry for the church in China? Now, the pastor said this, my greatest worry is that the younger Christian generation in China have not been in prison. They have not been tortured and they have not been hunted and killed. My greatest worry is that they have not and will not face persecution. That's interesting. Because you see, this pastor, he's pointing out an important truth. And the truth, the truth is that the church doesn't grow in spite of persecution, but that the church grows because of persecution. You see, what the pastor is trying to point out is that when we think of hardship and when we think of suffering, we think that those things are the things that are going to tear apart the church. We think that it's going to be a difficult and a trial-filled period that is going to tear apart and kill the church. And yet what he's saying is that suffering and persecution will never kill the church. What is going to kill the church is wealth. What is going to kill the church is comfort. What is going to kill the church is ease. Those are the things, church, that is going to kill us in the long run. You see, in this passage, Peter and John, they have just healed this paralyzed man at the beautiful gate. And what we see is right after this miracle, all the people gather there. They're wondering what just happened. And Peter, he proclaims the gospel. He gives this great sermon. And at the very end, the religious leaders come up to him and they arrest him, and they take him into custody. You see, they are persecuted for their beliefs, and yet what we also see is that the church grows here, and that it's healthy here, and that it's good because of it. Within the midst of persecution, God allows the church to mature. And so, church, what I want to do today is I just want to look at three things. Three things within this passage. First is that if you are a Christian, expect persecution. Second, 
is that persecution will bring growth. And third, is that persecution helps us keep perspective, okay? So the first point is that if you are a Christian, expect persecution. You see, church, there's a biblical truth that we need to understand. If you are a Christian, you will receive persecution. You know, Jesus, he talks about this constantly. In John 15, 18, he says, look, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. What he's saying is simple. If you are called to follow me, if you call yourself a Christian, then don't be upset or, or confused or frustrated that your ideals and your values and your beliefs are different than the world. Don't be confused that you are mocked, that your self-esteem goes down, that things are difficult for you, because I was hated as well. And church, we see this in verses 1 and 2 in this passage. Because it says this, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, Peter and John, they were preaching the gospel, and Luke here, he writes that the priests and the leaders came upon them greatly annoyed. What this means is when they came upon them, it says they ran to him. They rushed over. They were panicked. They were angry. And when it says that they were greatly annoyed, it wasn't just like a fly that was going around them. It wasn't that kind of annoyance. It means they were livid. They were so angry at Peter and John. And that they were willing to do anything in order to stop them from speaking. You see, church, what made the leaders so angry was that Peter and John were teaching and preaching about Jesus. And what this shows us is a truth, and the truth is that those who are saved by Jesus and those who desire to live for Jesus will be persecuted for proclaiming the word of Jesus. You see, many of us, many Christians today, have a misunderstanding of what Christianity is. Because we become upset, we become confused when the values of the Bible and the values that we try to believe in don't align with the values of our non-Christian friends or the values of our non-Christian family or our workplaces or our schools. We get frustrated and we get upset when people ridicule us, when people put us down for our faith. And yet, we forget that if we are Christians, we should never be accepted by this world. That there's always going to be a divide between you and your non-Christian friends. There's always going to be a barrier between you and your non-Christian family. Church, don't be frustrated by that. Don't be surprised by that. Jesus, he talks about it. The Bible proclaims it. 
He says, look, the values that I espouse, the values that I hold dear, they are the complete opposite of the world. What I think most important, the world thinks is trash. The world thinks is useless. And you see, what the world holds most important, I hold least important. And so if you're going to follow me, understand that this is going to be your truth as well. Look, if one day, right, I have a child and I'm holding my baby and I'm taking care of him or her and I'm, I'm in charge of my baby all day, right? My, my wife has gone on business or something, I'm not sure. But I'm holding my baby and I'm taking care of him or her and my friend calls me, my friend from a long time ago and we're talking, we're having a good time and my friend goes, hey man, I scored these awesome tickets to, to the Wizards game, front, front seat. Right? We're, we're gonna, it's going to be awesome. Courtside, it's going to be perfect. Let's go. Let's have a good time. I say, man, I want to go, but I can't. I have my baby with me. I need to take care of him or her. He's not feeling very well. I need to stay home. I need to be home. And my friend goes, what are you, what are you doing, man? Just leave your baby on the ground. Just, just give it some milk. Just, just let, it, let it. It can take care of itself for the most part. We'll only be gone for a couple hours. Do you think I would say, oh, yeah, actually, that, that kind of makes sense. No, of course not. I would be so angry at them. I would be furious. Because I would say, look, my baby is important to me. My baby is more important than some game. My baby is more important than something else I could be doing outside. And if you don't hold my baby as important either, there's always going to be a divide in our friendship. There's something that's not going to be right with us. What I value as important, you value as unimportant. And so there's going to be something wrong there. This is going to be the same in our Christian walk. And yet for so many of us, we are so surprised and we are so shocked when this happens in real life. When our friends ask us to do something and yet our priority is elsewhere because we believe in Jesus Christ. When our family tells us to go in this one direction and yet we decide to go in another because our priority is in Jesus Christ and we become upset, we become scared, we become angry at the Lord. When he tells us clearly, look, expect persecution. Expect that things will be different. If you believe in me, your priorities and what you hold as important will be different than your non-believing friends. They will be different than your non-believing family. They will be different than your non-believing spouse. They will be different, church. William Barclay, who's a famous Scottish minister, he once said that Jesus promises his disciples three things. First, that they would be completely fearless. Second, that they would be absurdly joyful. And third, that they would be in constant trouble. What persecution does, church, is that it strengthens the church. It shows you on the very front if you are a Christian or not. It shows you if you, are been, if you have been walking with the Lord. I know that for many of us, Christianity can be frustrating because it seems so intangible. 
because we talk a lot about heart issues and a lot about mind theological issues here. And it's hard to put it in practice and to live it out. And yet, what it shows here, what Jesus talks about here, is a very black and white issue that is very visible and tangible for us. Receiving persecution is a requirement for Christians. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And what that means on the flip side is that if you have never received persecution for what you believe, because it aligns so well with the, with the world, because it aligns so well with the beliefs of what the world thinks and what the world believes, then you probably aren't a Christian. You see, church, persecution allows us to see if we really are following after Christ. Expect persecution if you are a Christian. And church, this leads me to my second point, is that persecution brings growth. Verses 3 to 4 says this, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. You see, Peter and John, they get arrested, but the trial was too late for them to have, so they had to sleep in jail overnight. But you see, even in jail, even within the midst of their persecution, we see that the church grows by 5,000. And what this shows us is that it's just 5,000 men. It could be so much more with women and children. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean? It means that in God's wisdom that he may put us through persecution and that he may put us in trial in order to make the church grow. That God allows persecution to happen to his followers and it's because of this persecution, it's because of this hardship that happens to the church that allows the church to become stronger. Now, the question becomes then, why does persecution strengthen the church? How are these two things connected? You see, Psalm 69, it was written by David as he was being persecuted by his enemies. And what we see in this psalm is that David, he writes about drowning twice. Out of all the things he could have talked about, he talks about drowning twice. Now, the reason I believe he talks about drowning is because when you're drowning, you will grab onto anything and everything that will save you. You will hold on to your friends, if they're close, as desperately as possible. And if someone throws you a lifeline, you will hold on to that for your life. Church, David is saying that persecution feels like drowning. Because what persecution will do to the church is that it will force us to hold on to our community and it will make us hold on to our lifeline with everything that we have. Look, if you're on the beach and you're enjoying the sun and you don't really have a care in the world, then you know what? You're never going to think about the other person. You're never going to think about a lifeline. The thing is, church, 
the danger of our church today is not persecution or suffering. The danger of our church is being too comfortable in where they are. The danger of the church is having more fear of man than fear of God. The danger of the church is being so comfortable, enjoying where we are, and enjoying how things are going, that we don't hold on to what is most important. And when that happens, we will begin to lose the very essence of the gospel. We will lose the message of the gospel. Because you know what? I'm going to start becoming afraid of what you think. I'm going to be afraid of your comments, of your criticism. I'm going to be wanting your compliments more than anything else. And when that, help, when that happens, I'm going to start milking down the gospel. I'm going to start compromising on what is true. I'm going to start saying things and sugarcoating things that should not ever be sugarcoated. I'm going to lose the very essence of the gospel in that place. And when you lose that, you lose everything. And that is what will kill the church. You see, church, what persecution does is that it makes us strong because it makes us, it forces us to look at what's most important. It forces us to see what is most true in our lives. And there's two things. First is Jesus Christ. Second is each other. And when you're able to focus on those two things, that's how the church stays strong. One of the greatest ways that we can grow is through persecution. And lastly, church, persecution helps us keep perspective. Let me read verses 5 through 6. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, let me read to you verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized they had been with Jesus. See, church, Luke is pointing out something really interesting. He's showing that there's this huge divide in wealth and prestige between the people who were against Jesus and the people who were for Jesus. Because he's very clear in pointing out that there were rulers and that there were elders and that even the high priest came to confront Peter and John. So you see, here at church, we have educated people. We have the religious elite. We have those who have political power. And what he is purposely doing is he is contrasting those people who are against the gospel with what it says in verse 13, those who are for the gospel. It says that they were astonished. They were shocked. They were surprised because these people, these two people, Peter and John, were uneducated and were common. Church, we consider Peter and John some of the greatest men in the history of the Bible. They were men of God and they were bold and courageous. They proclaimed the gospel with everything that they had. 
In fact, I know that we have a lot of brothers here who are named specifically after Peter and John. But do you realize, do you see here, that the world considered them uneducated and common? You know, uneducated, it literally means without letters. It means that these people, Peter and John, probably couldn't read. They were uneducated. Common comes from the Greek word idiotai, where we get the word idiot from. That's right. You were named after men who were called idiots. But church, what this shows us is that the way that the world works is so vastly different than the way that God works. That the people that the world esteems and, said is, and says is good is completely different than who, the, than who God esteems and says is good. And so even if, you know, the world calls you an idiot, man, if you're with the Lord, if you're, if you're proclaiming the gospel, you are in good company. So you see, church, Luke is putting these two groups of people against one another, the religious and the intellectual elite versus these two common and uneducated men. And the reason he's doing this is to show us one very important point, the, that the effectiveness of how we proclaim and live as Christians is not based upon our pedigree or upon our accomplishments, the effectiveness of our pro proclamation of the gospel and our lives as Christians is only through a deep commitment and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, church, our effectiveness as Christians, the way that we live our lives here on this earth, the words that we say as believers of Jesus Christ is not dependent upon any accomplishment that you have on this world. It's not going to be on your past. It's not going to be on your future. It's not going to be on your family status. It's not going to be on how smart you are. Do you realize this? It's on one single thing. How deep is your commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's it. For Peter and John, they were uneducated. They were common. They had nothing. And yet they were able to convert 5,000 people. They were able to astonish even the spiritual elite. They were, able, they were able to even change the hearts of so many people. Not through anything that they could have done. But because they were grounded in the scripture. Because they believed in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Because they preached Jesus and only Jesus. That's it. That was the only difference. You see, for, for Peter, he could have switched back and forth. He could have compromised. And yet, what we see is that instead of rephrasing some words, instead of sugarcoating some things, he stays true to his message. You see, what Peter and John, he, they understood something so important as they were facing jail, as they were facing even death. As they were being persecuted, 
They understood that they weren't fighting for their innocence. They weren't fighting for their reputation. They were fighting for the hearts and the souls of those religious leaders. They were fighting for something bigger than themselves. You see, Peter, he was able to double down on the centrality of the gospel. He was able to not sugarcoat things. He was able to say what was true. He was able to be bold and courageous because he knew and he understood that he was fighting for the hearts of those people there. He understood that he wasn't fighting flesh and blood. He was fighting demons and the devil. He was fighting the evil spirits out there. He was fighting for heaven and hell. He was fighting for those things. Church, the reason why we get so afraid, the reason why we get so scared when we proclaim the gospel, the reason why we start to compromise and say different things and are willing to sugarcoat things is because we lose perspective on what is most important. And what is most important is not our reputation, is not our status, is not our innocence. It's going to be the souls of the people that we are proclaiming the word to. It's going to be the proclamation of the gospel to save the lost. That's it. That is what is most important. We have to understand this, church. God, he calls us to be soldiers, to be warriors, set on the front lines. He says we're in a battle, that we are fighting principalities, authorities of evil. He says that he has equipped us with weapons. He has equipped us with armor to stand firm in the faith. And that he commands us to fight. The only way we are ever going to fight, church, the only way we will ever stand firm is if we understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. And not only that, that we keep perspective to know that we are fighting for the souls of others to know and love Jesus Christ as well. Church, we have to understand this. Because, man, it would have been so easy for Peter and John to step away. It would have been so much easier for him to compromise. And yet, as Christians, our trust is not in our name or in our reputation. It is completely upon the name of Jesus Christ. That's why Peter says in verse 10, that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that the lame man was able to walk. Church, our own status will only take us so far, but sooner or later, you will crack. You will fail. But that's okay, because our trust and our hope is under the name of Jesus Christ, and he will not crack, and he will not fail. I know that many of us are afraid and worried that our friends and our families will be disappointed in us or mock us if we talk about Jesus or if we live as Christians even. 
But the reason you are afraid is because you have lost perspective. You've lost the reason for why you're doing this. You're not defending your status. You're not defending your innocence. You're not defending yourself. You are trying to save souls from hell. You're proclaiming the gospel. You are giving a cure to cancer. You are fighting the devil. In church, we cannot forget that. For a lot of us, I know that we are not being physically persecuted like the early church or like even other churches around the world. And I know that when I talk about this, there can be a disconnect for a lot of us. But church, I know that even though we may not face persecution physically, what this generation deals with is that we face persecution intellectually and socially. There will be times when we feel embarrassed and inferior and excluded. And this can be really dangerous because instead of drawing you closer to Jesus, this can draw you away from it. Church, all I can say is do not lose your perspective. The things you see with your eyes are not all that there is. Your fear of man can be overcome. It can be overcome by your love for God, for your fear of God, for your trust in God. Do not lose your perspective. We are not spectators on the sidelines. We are soldiers that God has equipped to go forward. So church, as we look forward, as we look to those whom we love, and as you face persecution in your own life, know that you are not fighting for yourself or for your reputation. You are fighting for other souls. Amen? Let's pray.